It's an encouraging story, isn't it, about, you know, how much God really does love us and kind of makes me wonder, hmm, are notes like they ever passed you at church? Um, <laughs> who knows? Uh, but anyway, we're in a series right now called Parables. And a parable is a real-life story, or at least it's about a real-life situation that's intended to communicate some spiritual or moral truths. And, and Jesus loved to teach using parables. Because parables help draw people in and help people understand important truths about God and about his kingdom. And today we're looking at a parable called the parable of the lost sheep. And this parable really illustrates to us that powerful love of God. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. Now the subtitle of this series is that parables are stories that redefine reality. Simply by the fact of growing up in this world and living in this world, we have all probably received and perhaps even internalized perspectives that are a bit messed up. Perspectives perhaps that skew our sense of self-worth, perspectives that, that skew how we treat other people around us, perspectives that cause us to have kind of a messed up sense of priorities and values, even perspectives that distort our view of God. And so one of the reasons that Jesus tells parables is to help people gain an accurate understanding about God and about the world and about ourselves and how we treat others as well. And so I'm going to pray for us and we're going to dive into this really short but rich parable of the lost sheep. So let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you do love us. And I pray that in our time together this morning as we open Scripture, your love letter to us, that you will impress upon us in fresh ways the depth of your love for us. And I pray that you will help us to apply that to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to follow along in your Bibles as I read Matthew 18, verses 12 through 14. Jesus says, What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your, heaven, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. So this is a parable about a shepherd and his sheep. And Jesus tells us to imagine a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. Nice round number. And shepherds back then would regularly count their sheep to make sure that they are all there, that they are all safe. And one time when the shepherd counts his sheep, rather than counting a hundred, he counts only 99. There is a lost sheep. Now sheep on their own are not very smart. They are relatively helpless on their own. I mean, they really cannot defend themselves against much of anything. A sheep on its own may even struggle to find food and water. Sheep, like I said, are not very smart. I think of how when I was growing up, my grandparents had sheep out on their farm. And I remember one winter, I was probably 10 or 11 years old, my grandfather, he let me do a lot of things my parents wouldn't have approved of. But, you know, that's maybe what grandparents are for. Um, so he had all these old junker cars sitting around in the, in the barnyard. And he let me drive one of these cars around the pasture. There wasn't any snow out there, but I got to drive it around all by myself as much as I wanted. I was 10 or 11 years old. I had to put a little box on the seat so I could see over the dash. It was a lot of fun. I remember I was driving out there that winter, and about 150, 200 yards or so from the barn, 
Under a tree is a sheep laying there all by itself. All the rest of the sheep are in the barn where it's safe and where it's warm. This one sheep is out there all by itself. And Grandpa knew that there was a sheep missing. And in fact, he had searched for that sheep. It had been missing for several days. But he could not find it, and he assumed that it must be dead somewhere. But here it is. I'm out there driving around, laps around the pasture. And there's that sheep all by itself under the tree. I told my grandpa, he went out and got it, brought it back to where it's safe. Now, now the interesting thing to me is the sheep has been out there in that pasture before. It's not like it's the first sheep's, uh, the time, the sheep's first time out there. And it's not like the barn is obscured from view. It's just right over there. Just, you know, 150, 200 yards. That's where safety is. That's where the rest of the flock is. But the sheep was not smart enough to find its way home on its own. It needed a farmer. It needed a shepherd who could come rescue it. That's because sheep need help. They're not very smart on their own usually. Now in this parable, what does the shepherd do when he discovers that one of the sheep has wandered off? Does he think, well, you know, yeah, it's a loss, but it's only 1% of my sheep. I still have 99 others. Eh, not a big deal. No. No, the shepherd says, I am going to go after that sheep. I'm going to look for that sheep. And what we see in this parable is the commitment of the shepherd. It says that he leaves the 99 sheep and goes in search of that one that wandered off. It's only 1% that left, but he's committed even to that 1%. Now, some people, when they read this parable, they read it with a very critical spirit, saying, well, man, that, that shepherd is so careless. What type of shepherd would leave 99 sheep all by themselves to fend for themselves just to go pursue one? And they think that the shepherd's just putting the rest of those sheep in danger. What we have to understand is this is a parable. It's a, it's a fictional story that Jesus is telling to prove a point. And he is not worried about filling in every single detail of what happens. And so his listeners back then, even though he didn't say what happened exactly to the other 99 sheep, his listeners, living in a society with shepherds, would have understood that that shepherd would have done something to secure the safety of those other 99 sheep. Probably either by leaving them with another shepherd, or perhaps by, by putting them in a sheep pen where they would be safe till he returned. Because it's very obvious in this parable that he is not a careless shepherd. And so it says here that, that if he finds the sheep, he sets out to look for it. If he finds it, truly I tell you, Jesus says, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. Now this parable of the lost sheep occurs in two different places in Scripture. Here in Matthew, but it also occurs over in Luke chapter 15. And in Luke 15, verses 5 and 6, Jesus says that when the shepherd finds the lost sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. So we see here the joy of the shepherd. The sheep was lost and now is found. Now just because the shepherd is so excited about that one sheep, it does not diminish the value of the 99 who stayed home, who were safe the whole time. Instead, what it shows is the joy that comes from finding something that was lost. And so this is the parable of the lost sheep. But I want to dig in a little bit more to interpreting this parable and applying it to our lives. Now as we look at this parable, we need to understand the shepherd represents God. Now that's pretty straightforward. 
But just in case Jesus was concerned that, he, that anyone out there didn't understand it, he says over in verse 14 in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. So the shepherd represents our heavenly Father. But a question is, who does the lost sheep represent? Who does the lost sheep represent? And to help us discern who the lost sheep represents, I want to turn over to Luke chapter 15, which is the other place where this parable occurs. And, and since there are two different contexts in which this parable occurs and there are some variations, I, I believe that Jesus probably told this parable at least two different times in these different contexts. And, you know, he's a traveling preacher. And so it would make complete sense that, that there are some of the stories, if they work well, he's going to tell them multiple times. I mean, in fact, even in my sermons, there are times where I'll recycle a story they may have told a few years ago. Or if I go and give a, a sermon in a nursing home or something, by all means, I'll use the same stories there that I've used here at the church. And so that's very common. And so I think these are probably uh, two different times that he told a very similar parable. Let me read us the context in Luke 15, verses 1 through 4. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They weren't very happy. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. And then he goes on and tells the parable of the lost sheep. And so we have these Jewish leaders who are attacking Jesus' ministry. Jesus was not popular with them for many reasons. One of the reasons was the types of people with whom Jesus associated. We see that there were, there were, there were tax collectors around him. There were, there were prostitutes who were drawn to Jesus. Uh, there were people who were given the label sinner. These were kind of the social outcasts, but these were the people that Jesus enjoyed being around. And it was obvious he, he did not merely tolerate them. He welcomed them. He ate meals with them. He, he laughed with them. He enjoyed them. I mean, he touched them in appropriate manners, obviously. But, but that was a big taboo thing in that culture. You want to stay in that culture as far away as you can from these people who are labeled sinners. Yet Jesus has welcomed them, them. It was obvious to everyone that Jesus loves them which is why he gained the reputation of being a friend of sinners. But to the Jewish leaders, this, this made no sense at all to them. They were thinking, Jesus, if you were really such a religious man, you should have nothing to do with them. You should not allow them into your presence the way that you are. And so in response to that, Jesus tells them three parables in rapid succession. He tells them a parable about a lost sheep, and then next in Luke 15, he tells him a parable about a lost coin. And then finally, he tells him a longer parable about a lost son, which we know is the parable of the prodigal son. And in each of these parables, something valuable is lost, and then it is found with great joy. And so from this context, we understand that the lost sheep represents anyone who is not close to God. Anyone who's not close to God. Now, coming back to Matthew chapter 18, this other version of the parable that we're looking at, the context shows that even people who are involved in church and the Christian community and they fall away, even they can be rescued and brought back. In fact, the very next verse in Matthew 18, after the parable, Jesus says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. 
If they listen to you, you have won them over. And so what this is talking about is, you know, if someone was, was a part of the church family or was following Jesus, but then wanders away, some sin gets in the way between them and following Jesus, that we have a responsibility to be kind of God's ambassadors, God's agents, to help bring them back to the flock. And it's very clear in these parables that no one is ever so far away from God that they cannot be rescued and welcomed back. And so the lost sheep represents anyone who is not close to God. But the main point of this parable is that God is a loving God who pursues those who are lost. That's the main point here. It's a focus on God, that God is a loving God who pursues those who are lost. Now the Jewish leaders, when they encountered people like these tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners who, who, who had obvious problems in their life, they shunned them. And that went back to their view of God. They viewed God as being so transcendent and so holy that they figured God is absolutely repulsed by these people. That God not, not only hates the sin, God hates the sinner as well. That was their view and it caused them to elevate themselves and to look down on almost everyone else. And so Jesus is saying, you know what? You all, you, you Jewish leaders, you need to redefine your view of who God is. Because grace and mercy are right there alongside holiness and justice. So he is challenging the Jewish leaders to redefine their perspective of who God is. And he's helping them understand that God is a loving God who pursues those who are lost. Now in this last week, there has been an event in the other side of this world that I think illustrates well the points here in this parable. And I'm referring to those 12 boys and their soccer coach who were trapped in the flooded cave in Thailand. I don't know about you, but I was absolutely riveted by the story. I mean, going right before I went to bed, I checked because I knew over the course of the night they're going to be trying another rescue. And I was, I'd wake up in the night and be praying for it and wake up in the morning and check again and throughout the day look for more stories. I mean, it was riveting to see what was taking place over there. And it started out so incredibly bleak. 12 boys and their soccer coach trapped two and a half miles into a flooded cave in Thailand. They ran out of food. They ran out of water. They ran out of light. They were on a little muddy ledge that was no larger than an average person's bedroom for all 13 of them. And they were there for 10 days before anyone figured out exactly where they were. It looked incredibly bleak. And even after they were found, the chances of a safe rescue were minimal at best. But there was a massive rescue operation underway. I read in the New York Times that there were 10,000 people involved in this rescue operation, including 2,000 soldiers and 200 divers. And over 100 government agencies were represented in this rescue. It was an amazing teamwork from around the world to orchestrate this rescue. And then after the 12 boys and the, the coach were all safely rescued, I mean, there's this, this huge sense of joy around the world. I mean, in Thailand, people were celebrating and, and singing and shouting in the streets. Even people I've talked with here are just in awe of what took place over there. So you have the bleakness, you have the, the improbable rescue, and then you have the joy. 
And as I was analyzing this, I think, you know what? This is a very unique event in world history in terms of such a feel-good story in which everyone, there aren't winners and losers in the, I mean, there aren't losers in this, only winners. And it was something that united the world. It was really an amazing type of thing. But you look at how much went into the rescuing those boys and how much more God has gone into to rescue us. There are a lot of similarities there where for us as humans, it all looked bleak because all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And that sin, because God is holy and just, it separates us from God. It earns us a spiritual death penalty. But God has been instituting his rescue plan for longer than we can possibly imagine. Even back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right after sin entered the world, God was already enhatching his rescue plan through Jesus. And down through the centuries, God was preparing the way. He was, he was assembling a people through whom the Savior would come. And then he was delivering his law in Scripture to help point people to their need for a Savior. And then on top of that, he was sending prophets in order to prepare the way for the Savior to come. And he was preparing world circumstances, including even the Roman Empire, in the right time, in the right place, for the Savior to come and have an effective ministry. And then in the fullness of time, God sent his Son, Jesus Christ. God come to earth in human form to complete the rescue plan. It's a grand rescue that God orchestrated. And, and when it all comes to fruition... There is great joy in the end. I mean, it's such an amazing story. I mean, we look at Isaiah 53, verse 6, for instance, and we see a picture of what this rescue was like that God accomplished. Isaiah 53 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. So in our natural state, we are all those wandering sheep. It says, The Lord has laid on him, meaning Jesus, the iniquity, of us all, the sin, the, the wrongdoing. God has laid the penalty for that on Jesus. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Now, in that rescue in Thailand, one of, one of the, the rescue workers died. It, it was sad. It, it, it's tragic that it had to happen. It was very unfortunate. It was a price that was paid in the rescue efforts. It was unintentional, though. But you look at Jesus and his death. That was entirely intentional. That was a necessary part of the rescue plan because he had to pay the death penalty we deserve for our sins if we were to be rescued. And that's why it says in Isaiah 53, verse 7, that he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He went to death on our behalf so that we could have life. He paid our penalty that we deserve. And so we look at this shepherd and look at how the shepherd pursued his sheep. And if that shepherd pursued one lost sheep in the way that he did, and if, if the world went and pursued 12 lost boys and their coach the way that they did, how much more will God the Father pursue us when we are lost? And that's why in John three sixteen, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, Jesus, when he came to this world, he did not come just to give us a good feel-good story or something to celebrate merely on Sunday mornings or Christmas and Easter. He came to redefine our reality. 
And, and the first step of redefining that reality is, is redefining our view of who God is. And so Jesus shows us very clearly in this parable that God is a loving Father who wants a relationship with us. That God is a loving Father who wants a relationship with us. I mean, as we saw in the video earlier, he's already checked that box to say that he loves us and that he likes us. We're going to sing at the end of the day's service a song called Good, Good Father. God is a good, good father. The question is, do you believe that God is a loving father who wants a relationship with you? Do you believe that? I mean, maybe you've been believing lies about God for a long time. Maybe you think that God is so angry with you that there is no way that he could possibly welcome you into his presence. Perhaps you view God as a harsh taskmaster, as an angry judge who's always looking over your shoulder, saying, you know what, you're still not good enough. Maybe when you think about your earthly father, he's an angry man. Or maybe he was emotionally distant. Or maybe he was just completely absent. And maybe he hurt you very deeply, and you're projecting your views and your experiences of your earthly father onto God. Maybe you need a redefinition of who God is. Because when Jesus came, he revealed the character and the heart of God. That God is a loving Father who deeply wants a relationship with each one of us. And we've looked in this parable at God's heart. But we, we also need to turn our attention back to the sheep because we are all sheep. In this parable, we are all sheep. The question is, which of the sheep are we? Are we part of the 99 sheep who has stayed faithful to the shepherd, who has followed him, who is close to him, or are we a wandering sheep who for some reason or another has strayed away from the shepherd? Which type of sheep are we? One of the things we need to understand is that God intends for all of us to be found. We are all naturally wandering sheep, but he intends for all of us to be found and to live in a close relationship with him. And the question is, have you allowed yourself to be found by God and to be brought back into his fold, drawn close to him? And for me, I was almost 20 years old when that event happened, when I finally came to that point of surrendering to Christ and and choosing to follow him. I know some people who surrender to Christ at a younger age. I've known some who they're 70 or older before they surrender to Christ. But this is an important step that we take. And the question is, how about you? If you let Jesus find you and bring you close to himself. Maybe you're like a sheep who's hiding in the underbrush, hoping that he doesn't find you because, you know what, you're, you're too ashamed to be found out. Or maybe you've never been close to God, perhaps because you didn't know that he really cared about you and you didn't really care about him. I mean, that was kind of how I was for my first 20 years of life. Or, or maybe it's that you are active in church, but... You've mainly just been going through the motions. You honor him with your lips, but you know what? When you get down to it, your heart is far from him. I pray that wherever you are right now, you will see that that you are valuable to God. And he wants to draw you close to himself. Now, if you do realize that you are that wandering sheep, that you have strayed away from him or you've never been close to him, he invites you to turn to him. And even today, you you can do that to turn back to him. All you have to do is just just talk with God and say, you know what, God? I've been wandering. I've turned away from you. But thank you that you welcome me back. Thank you for sending Jesus 
in order to rescue me, to die on a cross to pay my death penalty. And just ask him to draw you back into his fold. And if you'd like to talk with someone about this, we always have a prayer team up here afterwards. Uh, on the connection card, there's a box that you can check on the back that says, I'd like more information about following Jesus. And if you check that box and put an offering plate in a few minutes, I'd love to just get information in your hands even this week. Because we see the heart of God that he is a loving father who wants a close relationship with us. And we need to remember that our hope comes not from how hard we're working to get back to God. No, our hope comes from the fact that God is a loving God who pursues us, who does the work to rescue us. I mean, think about the boys in the cave. Think about this lost sheep. There's nothing they can do to rescue themselves. It's the same with us. We look to God, to Jesus, as our rescuer. And I think it's important that we remember God's heart in all this. Remember Luke 15. It says that when the shepherd finds the sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. So when Jesus pursues us, he doesn't do it out of drudgery or out of obligation. No, he does it out of love and joy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you pursue us. That your love is a steadfast love that, that drove you to sacrifice, but as a sacrifice that purchased freedom and redemption and rescue for us. So Lord, we say thank you. And I pray that you will be at work in each one of our hearts to impress upon us the depth of your love for us and how only through you is true life. Lord, may we surrender to you and be brought back into your fold. And now as we bring back to you a portion of the resources you've entrusted to us through this offering, we pray that you will use these tithes and offerings to help more people in our midst and around this community and around the world experience your love through Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.
nothing can ever separate us from that love, Lord. And I pray that as we see your love, that we will respond, that we will allow ourselves to be found on a day-by-day basis. Even, even when we're seeking to follow you, we still have those times where our hearts stray a bit. But we, we thank you that you always welcome us back with open arms. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, we thank you for these truths. And I pray that as we leave today, that we will go with that sense of, of, of deep, abiding joy that comes from knowing you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. May go in peace.